This is episode 354 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Heat-Related Illnesses, What Are You Prepared to Live Without?, and Five Habits That Will Help You Prepare for Most Emergencies. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you'd like to get some more information on building your own multiple streams of income, click on the link in the show notes or come over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey guys, this episode is going to have three articles and uh, the reason there's three is because uh, they're kind of short. And so uh, I, I did want to, you know, pack a lot into this podcast for you, but uh, you know, we're, we'll cover a lot of different topics today. The first one comes to us from doomandbloom.net. Uh, you know, my favorite people in the preparedness community over there, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And uh, and uh, their article is entitled Heat-Related Illnesses. Uh, I'm really wanting to read this one because this last week, um, I I didn't get like heat exhaustion or anything like that. But I, I came in from working in the yard and man, I was, I couldn't, I, I felt like I couldn't cool down. And uh, so anyway... Uh, I've been neglecting my backyard for a while. I was off, uh, you know, off contract, so I had a week off. And uh, you know, July Fourth was coming up, and although we experienced a, a big rain event here, um, people were still coming over, or at least we thought, you know, uh, people would come over, or whatever. And so I was getting the the backyard ready, and people will always come and swim, and uh, I just wanted it to look presentable, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so. Uh, I got out there on Monday, you know, Monday being my first day off, spent a little time, took my time getting up, you know, in the morning and then got out there and started working and, you know, busting my butt out there and uh, it was just hot. And by the time I came in, I think it was around 1230 in the afternoon and I didn't check the temperature, but man, I was, I was hot. I was not drinking enough water. I will readily admit that. I should have been drinking more water than I than I was drinking. Uh, in fact, I don't I don't even know if I drank any water uh, actually that first day, and uh, just came in, you know, drank a little bit of water, went you know straight to the shower after that, and uh, but couldn't you know seem to cool down. It took a while for me to cool down. Now I wasn't finished, and uh, you know I was feeling uh, I was feeling really hot. That's why I came in. And so I decided to go back out there Tuesday morning, and I went out there really, really early. I mean, when uh, the sun was coming up, and so I was able to get a lot done before about, I think it was like 10 o'clock, 10 a.m., And uh, but I was still hot. I still felt the effects of it, but I had water. Uh, maybe it was a little, it was like 11 o'clock, I think. And I, still, I had water this time around, uh, but it still came in, was still hot, took a shower, and uh, you know, rested for most of the day, and then went back out there in the evening time when it cooled down again. And I was able to get you know the backyard to the point where I wanted it to to be, and so you know I, I can feel comfortable enjoying it. I didn't want to go out there because it was just so nasty, but uh, you know I think this is very uh, very relevant now, right now. I mean, w- the the country is experiencing all kinds of heat temperatures, 
And so knowing the signs and what things you should be doing, what things you should be looking for, all that good stuff, I think those are important. And so not only for that, you know, the poop hits the fan uh, moments in our lives, but the moments that we have right now where we're maybe going outside and spending time with the kids or maybe some elderly people or, you know, the weekends or whatever, we might be on vacation. And so just a lot of good information here. So uh, heat-related illnesses coming to us from doomandbloom.net. Let's go ahead and start reading. Extremes of heat and cold are part and parcel of a long-term survival scenario. In long-term survival settings, or even in normal times, you may find yourself without shelter to protect you from the elements. If you don't take the weather into account, you have made it your enemy. It'll be something you regret very quickly. In the heat of summer, you might encounter someone suffering from the ill effects of overheating, otherwise known as hyperthermia. Even in cold weather, significant physical exertion in an overdressed and underhydrated individual could be life-threatening. Heat-related illness runs the spectrum from simple muscle cramps to shock. If mild to moderate, the condition is referred to as heat exhaustion. If severe, heat stroke. Heat exhaustion usually does not result in permanent damage, but heat stroke does. Indeed, it can permanently disable or even kill its victims. The effects of very high blood core temperatures constitute a medical emergency that must be diagnosed and treated properly. The risk of heat stroke correlates strongly to the heat index, a measurement of the effects of air temperature combined with high humidity. After 60% relative humidity, loss of heat by perspiration is impaired, increasing the risk of hypothermia. Exposure to full sun increases the reported heat index by as much as 10 to 15 degrees Fahrenheit. In other words, the equivalent of being out in much hotter weather. Simply having muscle cramps or a fainting spell does not necessarily signal a major heat-related medical event. You will see heat cramps often in children that have been running around on a hot day. Getting them out of the sun, massaging the affected muscles, and providing hydration will usually resolve the problem. A significant rise in the body's core temperature is required to make the diagnosis of heat exhaustion. As many heat-related symptoms mimic other conditions, you should include an accurate thermometer as part of your medical supplies. In addition to muscle cramps and or fainting, heat exhaustion is characterized by confusion, rapid pulse, flushing, profuse sweating, nausea and vomiting, headache, and temperature elevation up to 105 degrees Fahrenheit. If no action is taken to cool the victim, heat stroke may ensue. Heat stroke, in addition to all the possible signs and symptoms of heat exhaustion, will manifest as loss of consciousness, seizures, or even bleeding, seen in the urine or vomit. Breathing becomes rapid and shallow. You'll notice that the skin turns red, not necessarily because it is burned, but because the blood vessels are dilating in an effort to dissipate some of the heat. The skin will likely be hot to the touch, but in some circumstances, the patient's skin may actually seem cool. A person in shock may feel cold and clammy, but it's important to realize that it is the body core temperature that is elevated. Taking a reading with your thermometer will reveal the patient's true status. Heat stroke differs from heat exhaustion in that sweating might be absent. This is a significant change as the body uses sweating as a mechanism to cool itself down. Once the core reaches a temperature of about 106 degrees, 
thermoregulation breaks down and the body's ability to use sweating as a natural temperature regulator fails. In heat stroke, the body core can rise to 110 degrees Fahrenheit or more. If not dealt with quickly, expect shock and organ failure with death as the final outcome. When overheated patients are no longer able to cool themselves, it is up to their rescuers to do the job. If hypothermia is suspected, the victim should immediately be removed from the heat source, for example the sun, have their clothing removed, be drenched with cool water or ice if available, have their legs elevated above the level of their heart, the shock position, be fanned or otherwise ventilated to help with heat evaporation, and have moist cold compresses placed in the neck, armpit, and the groin area. Why the neck, armpit, and groin? Major blood vessels pass close to the skin in these areas, and you will more efficiently cool the body core. In the wilderness, immersion in a cold stream may be all you have in terms of cooling strategy. This is a worthwhile option as long as you are closely monitoring your patient. Oral rehydration is useful to replace fluids lost, but only if the patient is awake and alert. If your patient has altered mental status, fluids may enter their airway. This is called aspiration and makes the situation much worse. You might think that acetaminophen or ibuprofen could help to lower temperatures, but this is actually not the case. These medications are meant to lower fevers caused by an infection, and they don't work as well if the fever was not caused by heat. Hypothermia is largely preventable with some planning. Wear clothing appropriate for the weather, tightly swaddling an infant with blankets simply because that is what's done with a baby is a recipe for disaster in hot weather. Have everyone wear a head covering. A bandana soaked in water, for example, would be effective against the heat. Much of the sweating we do comes from our face and head, so towel off frequently to aid in heat evaporation. If you can avoid dehydration, you will likely avoid heat exhaustion or heat stroke. Work or exercise in hot weather, especially by someone in poor physical condition, will easily cause a person to lose body water content. Consider at least a pint or two of fluids, preferably Gatorade or another electrolyte-rich product, per hour while working in the sun. Keep a close eye on the elderly who are at high risk for heat-related illnesses. Carefully planning your outdoor work in the summer heat and keeping up with fluids will be a major step in keeping healthy and avoiding heat-related illness. Monitor the workload and the workers and you'll stay out of trouble. All right. Great article. Thank you so much, Dr. Bones. Uh, Guys, in this article, there are links to like hypothermia, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, other things that you might want to uh, go check out, the heat index, other things that might be relevant. And uh, again, like always, I think medical preparedness is one of those real important pieces of information, you know, the knowledge that you have, you know, you can gain a lot of knowledge, you know, on food and water and, and, and bushcraft and a lot of those things, but medical, I mean, that's one of those things that you really should focus on because you're going to always use that, uh, no matter what. And, uh, if you haven't, I always recommend, highly recommend getting their, um, their book, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's book, The Survival Medicine Handbook. I think it's one of the first ones that any prepper 
should uh, should own. And so if you go to their website, they have it on the right-hand sidebar as I do over at uh, the prepper website podcast.com. When you go check out the episodes, I have it on the right sidebar because I, I do believe in that book. I do believe that everyone should have that one. So guys, that's over at doomandbloom.net. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Our next article comes to us from living life in rural Iowa. And uh, this article is entitled, what are you prepared to live without? And it's just one of those articles that kind of get you thinking, uh, you know, about where you are in life and, and what kinds of things you're accumulating and maybe, you know, coming to, to some decisions. And so uh, let's read what Erica has to say here. One of the things about prepping is that we tend to accumulate a lot of stuff. Granted, we all believe in food storage and having things on hand to survive a disaster or a power outage. However, I think sometimes the emphasis on accumulating things gets out of hand. We focus on stuff instead of skills. We don't think about the ideas that we could be living without a lot of things. If you are preparing for a long-term event, you can only accumulate and use things until you run out of them or have a plan to replace them eventually. You can keep a lot of food on hand, but you need a way to replenish the food. Most people will garden or raise livestock. You can only keep so much potable water on hand before you have to come up with a way to replenish the water. The list goes on, but eventually we will have to find ways to replenish what we have or live without them. Our priorities will shift in a hurry to important things like food, water, and shelter. As Americans, we like to accumulate a lot of stuff that doesn't really have a meaning to us. We think we need a lot of things that we really don't need. We are subject to a culture that wants to, wants us to buy more and more without consequence. We are encouraged to buy new whenever possible and throw away the old. We are bombarded with processed food and gadgets to make life much easier. The problem is that in terms of cataclysmic events, we would probably not have those things available to us at all or would run out shortly. In a short-term disaster or power outage, we would probably not have those things to rely on. So the question begs, what are you prepared to live without? I have been feeling convicted lately as I place orders online for things I am not sure we need. There are definitely things we have been buying that I don't want to live without. I finally broke down and bought a grain grinder for flour and feed. I have purchased some books on cooking with more garden produce than meat. We have been buying a lot of materials for repairs and maintenance that been badly needed at our place. However, I even struggle with impulse purchases at the store or a cold drink at the convenience store. That money would be better saved or served in savings than on a temporary pleasure. While I believe you don't live forever and we should live a little, that doesn't mean we should live foolishly. I think we as preppers are called to a simpler life. We should be learning to live without processed foods. We should be living simply. We should be saving money instead of spending it foolishly. We should be living experiences and not buying stuff that may have no meaning later. We don't want our stuff weighing us down if we need to leave quickly or move in a hurry. We should be learning skills to make, fix, or replace our things and get out of the habit of buying new. We should be learning to live with less. I watch a lot of YouTube videos and documentaries on decluttering, living simpler, living with less, and similar subjects. For some reason, it has been really hitting home lately. I know I have too much stuff and I don't have as much as some. 
What hits home for me, though, is that these people live without a lot of stuff that we think is a necessity and are completely happy without it. They don't have anything that isn't a necessity or serves a purpose. As preppers, I think we need to look at our preps that way. I keep a lot of emergency preps on hand, but I keep a lot of stuff for just in case I might need it. I somehow doubt I will need those things. I think I will need to learn to live without a lot of stuff. I think we could all learn to live without a lot of stuff. There are things you need to have for prepping. Don't get me wrong. I know that. In that case, two is one and one is none philosophy still has its place. Here's the thing about SHTF. You will probably be learning to live without stuff because it might not be available to you anymore. Your things could be destroyed or you could lose some of your possessions. You might run out of certain items that cannot be easily replaced. You will be forced to live without and for some, that can be a rough lesson to learn. Most people will be learning that way which can cause an undue burden on those around them. This is not a good thing and can be easily remedied now. What do you think you could live without? All right, so uh, just one of those philosophical kind of thinking questions. What are there? What are some things that you could live without? You know, one of the things uh, when they talk about decluttering and stuff, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those shows where they're kind of getting rid of stuff and 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 you know you'll go through things and like if you haven't touched something in six months, right? Then just toss it or get rid of it or donate it or, or do something like that. You know, and and really, if you you've lost it and you you know, I have things in the garage that. I have, you know, and I'm not talking about tools and stuff like that. I'm just talking about things in the garage that people have left over at my house because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't have room uh, in in their place or or things that, you know, we have put in the garage that my wife like might have said, hey, I want you to keep this here. But she hasn't looked at it in years. And in quite honestly, if I would throw it away or donate it, she would never, never notice. And uh, I remember my father-in-law used to tell me uh, that's what he would always do to my mother-in-law. He would just start getting rid of it. I mean, every trash day or whatever. And a lot of the times it was just junk stuff. Now, he would just take a, an extra uh, garbage bag out filled with stuff and she never ever missed it ever and so uh, it's pretty amazing we do accumulate a lot of crap if you've been living in your house for a while you know my wife and I were first married uh, you know we moved like uh, I think like every two years we were moving and because we we just uh, we moved to an apartment we moved to a to uh, you know my in-laws had a home that we uh, rented Uh, we uh, started uh, working in the group home and then we were in one group home for about a year and then they, we moved to the community homes and uh, we didn't have a whole lot of stuff but that one time where we st- we stayed in a home probably for about eight or nine years and then we decided to move oh my gosh we had so much crap and I just couldn't remember uh, you know accumulating all of it I'm like where did all this stuff come from but you just start accumulating it you don't even realize it and now I hate to even imagine. I mean, we've been living in this house for a while, and there's just tons of stuff that I know that we can do without. Uh, when it comes to thinking about the poop hitting the fan, sometimes you're like, no, I want to hold on to this. You know, I might need it for whatever. But, uh, you know, would you really? I don't know. I always think back to that one um, episode of The Walking Dead. I, I, I don't watch it anymore, uh, but it was one of the first ones when they're in that quarry, 
and uh, that rock quarry and and the women are doing you know doing the traditional women thing right uh uh they're they're doing clothes and i don't know what the men are doing i don't know if they're scavenging or whatever but the the women are all around the water and they're doing the laundry i think and uh they're sitting about talking about all the things that they miss right what kinds of things would you miss and and i know this is talking more about stuff like things and 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 stuff like that but what kinds of things would you miss in the, if, if the poop hit the fan? Um, could be that you don't ever have time to really stop and think about you know what you really miss because you're going to be really really busy in uh, in that type of a situation. But anyway, um, something to consider if you're decluttering, if you are uh, really looking at what really matters in life. You know what can I live without? So guys, that's over at uh, livinglifeinruleiowa.com and uh, go check that one out. All right, this uh, next article, our last article, comes to us from apartmentprepper.com. And uh, Bernie Carr, it's been a while since I've read an article from her. Um, This one, again, it's very short, but it's five habits that will help you prepare for most emergencies. And so uh, just a couple little uh, tidbits here to uh, keep in the back of your mind, maybe some things, some habits to start putting in place, uh, you know, for yourself and just, you know, daily life type stuff. And, uh, you know, just good information to have. So let's go ahead and dive right into this one. Many people are still reeling from the after effects of the last disasters. Nearly 10 months after Hurricane Harvey, I still see piles of debris from devastated neighborhoods. This time around, another active season is predicted, while a new storm has already hit in Florida. Many residents in the big island of, of Hawaii are threatened by the erupting volcano, and many neighborhoods have had to be evacuated. People are taking a fresh interest in getting prepared for emergencies, but it can quickly get overwhelming for someone who is new to preparedness. I know because I felt a lot of confusion when I first got started. I also started buying up supplies and gear at a rapid pace and ended up regretting some of my rushed purchases. In hindsight, I would have gone a lot slower and more methodical. Before going out and spending money on emergency supplies, consider developing a few easy-to-adopt habits that not only will help you prepare for emergencies, but will help you in everyday living. So the first one is keep your gas tank at least half full. I used to let my gas tank run all the way down close to empty. Then the nerves would start getting frayed as I searched for a gas station, wondering if my car would stall. Not anymore. Since I started preparing, I never let my gas tank run below a quarter. I prefer at least half a tank. This way, if there is ever an emergency, I know that I can get in the car and at least get out of the city. And if the gas lines were too long, I don't have to worry about having to fill up right away. Guys, that's always a great, uh, you know, this is a great habit to uh, to live by. Uh, it might be a little inconvenient, especially if you like to go, you know, all the way to it's empty. Uh, you'll be filling up a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, if there was emergencies, you would have that gas tank. And then if you're coupling, coupling that with uh, inverter and that I've talked about before in the past, um, you know, even if you have half a gas, half a tank of gas, um, for the most part, you know, in a decent size uh, tank, that could be anywhere between, you know, eight to 15 gallons, right? And so that's a lot of uh, gas that you can run and you can run an inverter for a long, long time on that. All right. So the next one is two is one and one is none. It's an old saying about stuff you use all the time. Don't let yourself run out. 
If your family eats something all the time, let's say peanut butter, then pick up two when you go to the store. Same thing with toilet paper. Never wait until you are down to the last one before going out to buy more. Ever since I adopted this habit, I never have to make last-minute trips to the store. And if we ever have a hurricane warning, I know I have at least a couple of weeks' worth of items that we use all the time. Um, This phrase, for those of you who are new to preparedness, also is used when you're talking about um, items. So, for instance, radios. Um, Two is one, one is none. And the idea behind this would be that if one breaks down, you don't have... Uh, you don't have anything there to rely on. But if you have two and one breaks down, you still have another one to rely on, right? And so that always, again, it deals with gear as well as what um, Bernie is talking about here in this one. All right, the next habit is keep some emergency cash at home. Many people no longer carry cash, but use their debit cards for all purchases. A bank glitch or any other disaster with a resulting power outage will cause ATM machines and card readers to go down, leaving you without access to funds. Set aside a few dollars that can help tide you over in case you can't use debit or credit. The emergency cash stash does not need to be huge, just enough to get you your food and other necessities. Another great habit to, to have, definitely you should have some emergency cash. Um, a lot of people will say if, you're, you know, if you have a bug out bag, you want to have some emergency cash uh, in there as well. All right, number four, store what you eat and eat what you store. If you buy extra food for emergencies, keep track of expiration dates and use them up before they get old. Resist the urge to buy things just because they are on sale. Buy only what your family eats. There is no point in stocking up on sardines or raisins, even if they are on sale, if your family does not eat them. A friend of mine found out the hard way. Don't let this happen to you. And definitely store what you eat and eat what you store um, is always gonna will always serve you right. If you if you do that in your food storage, you'll be you'll be good to go. You'll know that your food storage, no matter what happens, that your family will will eat it. All right, the last one is have a paper backup of all your important documents, including your phone contacts. I once had my cell phone charge completely run out in the middle of a conversation. I wanted to call the person back on a landline when I realized her phone number was contained in the cell phone that now won't turn. Dumb. Luckily, I had written her number down on a piece of paper earlier, and I was able to find it and call her back. Lesson learned. Guys, I will. And let me just talk a little bit about uh, this. Isn't specific to having paper backups. Of course, you know I've, I've talked about having emergency binders and, and all that type of stuff recently. But this is another reason why to have a, a charger, a battery bank charger, to keep your phone charged. And if you work at a desk and you are at a computer, then you know go to Amazon and invest in another. Uh, cord so that you can have your phone plugged up so it has a full charge on a regular basis. Um, my phone charges uh, wirelessly, and so I, you know, I charge it every night. I have you know by my bed, I have a, like a wireless charger. I just set it on. But at work, I also have one, and so I just set it there when I'm at my desk. And so when I leave, uh, if I'm going to a meeting, I have a full charge. If I am going home or I wherever I'm going, I have a full charge on my phone. I know it's going to last a long, long time. And then on top of that, of course, I have my battery bank 
that I have, you know, in my backpack that I'm able to charge and or to charge my phone off of multiple times. And so uh, definitely would say that you need to have one of those. Ladies, uh, if you have a purse, uh, you know, there are some really small battery banks that, you know, that they don't weigh a whole lot, but they can power your phone up at least two times. I would definitely have one of those in my purse and carry that with me on a regular basis. But again, if you work at a desk, just go go to Amazon, buy another USB uh, you know connecting cord, connect one to your to your computer, just leave it there, and then just plug it up, and that way you always have a full charge. All right, so let's go ahead and end this one. Uh, the habits described above won't cost you anything, but can save you a whole lot of headaches. At the same time, these habits are helping you get started preparing for emergencies with ease. This list is not all inclusive. What habits are you glad you acquired? Please share in the comments. All right, guys. So um, there's a couple of comments here that you can uh, go and check out. Again, that's over at uh, apartmentprepper.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes, and you can go check those out. Um, Guys, I know I mentioned Amazon just a little while ago. Um, If you do purchase um, from Amazon, and people ask me all the time, Todd, how can I help support uh, you know what you're doing on the podcast and uh, do you have a, a patreon do you have a donation button and I don't have that I mean one of the things that I did was uh, you know if you wanted to buy the microbiz uh, ebook I did have a way in there that you could if you wanted to buy one at a higher price it was just more out of the kindness of your heart because you wanted to support what well, you know the podcast and what I was doing over at prepper website but the other way that you can support us is by going to, you know, if you're making your purchases off of Amazon and I can't link, uh, use my affiliate code on the show notes, um, that's against Amazon's terms. And if they, they see traffic coming from something like that, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, you know, they'll cancel my affiliate, um, account. So, uh, what you can do is though, is just go to any of my websites, right? So Ed, that matters the prepper website podcast.com or prepper website.com. Uh, you can go uh, there and any Amazon link, just click on it. Anything that says Amazon, click on it. And if it goes to Amazon, making your purchase there, uh, will give us a little percentage. It doesn't matter what you buy. Um, just, if you go click on that link, it'll give us a little bit of a percentage and it's already, it doesn't cost you anything extra. It's already kind of built into the price, uh, that Amazon sells items for. And there's a lot of things that Amazon does sell things cheaper than other places. So anyway, um, if you if you're interested in that, that's a way to uh, to help support us, and I do greatly appreciate it. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 354. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way, you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that. Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.